You're listening to the Academy Securities Geopolitical and Macro Strategy Podcast. Today is February 8th, 2019, and I'm your host, Andrew Robinson. Today, we are discussing the recent political instability in Venezuela. As the presidency of Venezuela is contested between Nicolas Maduro and Juan Guaido, the state of the human condition in this struggling socialist Petro state continues to decline. Most of the international community recognizes Guaido as the president, while most senior military leadership within Venezuela back Maduro. I'm joined today by Rachel Washburn and two of our geopolitical experts, Major General James Spider Marks and Lieutenant General Bob Walsh, who discuss possible outcomes and other moving pieces in this situation. Our macro strategist, Peter Chur, is here as well to discuss how the markets are reacting. In fact, we're going to start with that perspective. Peter, how has the political crisis in Venezuela been seen to impact the markets? Markets are definitely focused on the events in Venezuela. Markets view Juan Guaido as being supportive for the local economy and good for investors. One thing that I'm watching closely is the Venezuela bonds. I particularly pay attention to the 7% of 2038. It's the longest dated bond. Those bonds are trading around 23 cents on the dollar prior to Guaido rising in popularity and power. They got as high as 32 points and since then have been trading in a range. They basically go up whenever Guaido looks like he's doing well and it goes down whenever Maduro seems to you know, be gaining some popularity. So that's something to watch. It's a good way to judge how markets view the events in real time occurring there. The other big issue for markets is what is going to happen to oil. Venezuela is producing about 500,000 barrels of oil. Last week, we imposed new sanctions, effectively barring people outside of the country from buying Venezuelan oil through PDVSA. Some of that oil will likely go to Russia or China. Their ability to pay market prices, though, is questionable. This will put pressure on what is the current administration as oil is one of their chief sources of revenue and it's what sustains that. That's something we'll talk about more later as we go through this in detail. In the meantime, it is a wild card because this could be a big opportunity. If Guaido wins, if they open up to the IMF, there could be a chance to really ramp up Venezuelan production, which would be negative for oil prices globally, though very good for their economy and good for investors in that country. Thanks, Peter. I appreciate you laying the framework for this discussion and how the markets are responding to the current situation in Venezuela. General Walsh, uh, I'd like to start with you. Can you discuss how Venezuela went from being a prosperous, wealthy nation to the current chaos it's experiencing now? Uh, thanks, Rachel. I think, you know, if you really kind of look at it, it kind of starts with the center of gravity is, is the oil. And the, uh, the oil drives down into the politics, which really just drives down into the descent into their dictatorship. If you kind of step back, you know, back in uh, mid-2014, the oil prices were up over $100 a barrel. And then uh, by 16, they tumbled down to um, $30 a barrel. So the economy went into free fall, you know, and with that, uh, in a lot of these uh, types of countries that Venezuela is like, Maduro tried to consolidate his power, uh, the president there, with uh, repression, censorship, uh, electoral manipulation, and then really eviscerating the, the constitution. So. When they went to have their uh, their election, he banned all protests, um, you know, uh, imprisoned the political adversaries, and he dissolved what was the National Assembly. And then in that uh, re-election that occurred last May, many claim that is unfair, undemocratic. Undep- uh, and, and I think the sad sense in all that is, is you kind of look back, uh, it all kind of goes back to that uh, oil 
and they are, you know, have the largest oil reserves in the entire world, uh, but it also is their Achilles heel. That is, they kind of step back, you know, they really are the, the true archetypical petrostate where really the government in, income, everything is reliant upon the oil and export oil. Their economic and political power is highly concentrated in their elite majority centered around uh, Maduro and his, his close group. And then certainly the political institutions that are there are weak and, and uh, unacceptable in being able to prevent widespread corruption. So again, that you know, epitome of really being a, a petrol state because of that drove down from the, the, the oil being up at over $100 a barrel to $30 a barrel in 16, really has sucked Venezuela really into that political and economic spiral they've been in. General Marks, this next question's for you, and it's really a three-part question. First, can you discuss why the presidency is contested in the first place? And also, what sort of indicators should we be looking for as the situation progresses as far as U.S. intervention and action? And finally, something we've discussed at length on this podcast in the past is the United States' influence in Latin America and how, with Venezuela in particular, there was a great opportunity for the U.S. to exert influence in a real positive way. And despite that, we kind of took a step back and we saw other countries intervene when we failed to. Can you discuss the either benefits or how you view the Trump administration's strong stance at this time? Yeah, Rachel, thanks very, very much. Um, the challenge that we see in Central and South America uh, relative to the U.S. position is really made manifest in Venezuela, which is, I would say, uh, the United States certainly takes our relationship with that part of the world for granted. We need to be more actively engaged for a whole host of reasons. You certainly could go back couple centuries to the Monroe Doctrine, and my intent is not to lay that out, but it truly drives our view of our neighbors in the region and what we could be doing to exercise more fulsome and meaningful influence and, and have some successes in that part of the world. And as General Walsh laid out, the fact that Venezuela owns 20% of the global oil reserves, has approximately 295 billion barrels of oil available for exploitation and export, is really a shame that the United States has not embraced that. And we have examples, um, you know, as you look at the Kingdom of Saudi Arabia, it is, in fact, a, a petrostate as well, but they've managed through very precise and very disciplined efforts to ensure that its position in the world is not challenged, although it has all its economic eggs in one basket. Venezuela, on the other hand, is an example of total cronyism, the total failure of socialism, and the fact that when you don't have diversification and you have a combination of social socialism, cronyism, corruption that's rampant throughout all elements and, and uh, levels within society, you end up with a human condition that we see right now in Venezuela, which is on the verge of total collapse, which means you're, the United States with its certain global, certainly its global desire to have influence is going to get involved in some way. And, and normally the first diplomat in a crisis like this is either a Marine or a soldier on the ground. 
Um, I can tell you right now that the United States is viewing what's taking place in Venezuela very, very cautiously, but very, very, um, I would say in very deep, um, systematic ways to ensure that when we apply influence, we do it in a very meaningful and helpful way. What's different now from what we've seen in the past over the several decades of Venezuela's kind of spiral down, again, described so very well by General Walsh, is that right now there's an alternative. And we'd like to think that Juan Guaido is an alternative that might provide some value and some stability to Venezuela. And then we'd have to figure out whether down the road that alternative to Maduro is really what the world needs and what the people of Venezuela need. And let's be frank, what the United States can use within its region to shore up our own national security and to achieve our own national security objectives. That's how I see us right now and the collapse that we've been, we, we've been witness to. Because again, one final point, within this chaos, there is opportunity. And right now we see Russia stepping up uh, with a potential, potentially building some type of a military relationship. They've had aircraft visits, so they've had some military exchanges. That's always troubling when the United States cannot at the same time provide that alternative if it works to our advantage. And certainly we've seen India step up economically to try to shore up the, the challenges that we see. And, and as Peter has laid out so very well also. So that's where I think we are right now. There is an opportunity moving forward, but it is a delicate balance and a real uh, necessary effort on the part of the United States. It's in the hands of our diplomats before we pull the trigger, as they say, with some type of a potential military solution if it's necessary. General Walsh, do you have anything to add? You know, I think just going back to um, why the, the presidency was disputed, I think, it, you know, it, it really drives back into that spiral down in corruption and in, in, uh, the autocracy that uh, Maduro is driven. If, if you kind of go back at the original election when he was elected, he was only elected by a very thin margin. I think it was 1.6%. Um, and then with the, the spiral and freefall of the economy based on the decrease in oil, when that second election came up, he was reelected um, in really a very controversial election that many of the parties boycotted. And in the opposition there uh, was he was jailing opposition leaders. They fled the country. And you could see because of that many did not participate. So when the election finally occurred, and he was sworn in on January 10th. I think that's when the time when the National Assembly set forward as an opportunity to say that uh, Maduro was a usurper of the presidency. And that's why, you know, at that point, 35-year-old Juan Guaido, you know, in the National Assembly used the articles within their constitution to say that the head of the assembly should take over as the president. And that's when he declared himself acting president. And we saw uh, quickly afterwards the United States and President Trump recognized him. As we're talking about military intervention as a possibility, how do you see that playing out? How would we know it's occurring? How would it occur? What are the generals on their side lined up? The military doesn't seem to be fully in support of either side. And then what does that do to some of the countries like China and Russia that don't seem to want change? You know, I guess, you know, starting off is I think, uh, you know, you probably haven't seen a whole lot in the press on any you know, military details and how the U.S. would handle this militarily. Because I think I kind of go back to what, what General Marks was saying is that the first place should be on the diplomatic side. And that's why I think when you saw 
um, when President Trump recognized um, Juan Guaido, uh, that's also when a, this, a national security advisor, John Bolton, came out, and he was really representing from the national security side um, what that may look like. I do find it uh, interesting that the president was very clear just two days ago, he reiterated personally again that all options are on the table. And I think it was very clear that uh, in that press conference that uh, John Bolton had that you know it was, it was highly advertised that he showed that uh, yellow notepad that on there it said 5,000 troops to Columbia. Now, what, what did that really mean? Was that intentional or unintentional? A lot of debate on that. But clearly, that did send a signal uh, on where that could go. Now, on the other side is where has been the Venezuelan military? In a lot of these autocratic societies, it's the military that is the one that needs to be influenced, that uh, is really propping up the regime. And I think in this case, the military has been with Maduro the entire time because that's where they get a lot of their money. It's coming from oil. It's going down through the, uh, the political apparatus, down supporting the 2,000-plus generals that are in there. Now, we had seen, and just yesterday, a Air Force general say he now supports um, Juan Guaido in the opposition. But that's one of only many. How long will it take to tip over to go in the other direction? So I think at this point in time, there are some military options from the U.S. side. It certainly has to be, as General Mark says, in a coalition, coalition where we may be a lot of the uh, lead diplomatic effort, but I think most of this would have to come from other companies in the region, such as Colombia, because we can't play our uh, overplay our hand in this because the danger will always be that uh, the U.S. will be looked at as a overbearing uh, and imperial power. And polls throughout Latin America still show that, that the United States is, is looked at that way. So I think um, being ready, putting all options on the table as leverage as the, the administration is done, by flipping that to the other side with Russia, it's very clear that you could almost look at this as uh, the epitome of what the Cold War had looked like with the Soviet Union. And Russia and Vladimir Putin is trying to do what he's done around the world. And in fact, there's reports of 4,000 or so troops from a private army that uh, Russia has put in place into Venezuela to, quote, protect their interests. Some of the same things we've seen Russia do militarily in Syria, Ukraine, and other parts of uh, Africa. So they're putting their foot down, both militarily showing that, uh, that they want to push back against us in this region as they are around the world. Now, China, I think, is on a completely different side. I, I don't see anything from the military side from China at all, uh, like putting bombers in there like Russia had, because I think China at this point is really leveraged completely from the economic side and has really been challenging us around South and uh, America, Central America, in the region economically. Really, over the last decade, they have provided over $62 billion of aid to Latin America. And inside Latin America, 53% of their aid has gone to Venezuela. So they're the biggest creditor there, and they've got huge equity there. So at this point, we do not see the Chinese military really going outside the region as they're building themselves up as a regional power in the Pacific. And they've got too much really equity in here to try stepping into that lane where the Russians seem much more willing to go in that direction. You know, the way General Walsh just described is um, really lays out very importantly for us 
that what we see in Venezuela is at the very strategic level is right now for the United States competition between the United States and Russia in terms of what this potential outcome looks like. China, as General Walsh indicated, is really challenge, challenging our view of spheres of influence, but primarily remains now uh, Asian power uh, beyond its own literal waters, but into the South China Sea and elsewhere. In Venezuela, if we were to take it down the next step, if the United States were to be involved, it would be primarily two things. One is to de-escalate what is taking place. And the second thing is to protect American citizens and property and the ability of the United States to, in a very peaceful and expeditious way, get out of country to protect its American citizens and its interests there. What you'd see would be, and we've seen this in the past, it would be very much a joint effort. It would also be a coalition effort, as we've described, which would include other nations you know, voluntary participants who wanted to ensure that this thing did not flame totally out of control. But it would be a joint operations. It would be sea power, air power to ensure that we had the appropriate coverage. But it would be a minimal footprint on the ground of U.S. Marines or Army forces, probably Marines, to help with the evacuation of American citizens. And it would be as, as orderly as we could. It's called a non-combatant evacuation operation, a NEO. And we've seen these, we've practiced these Bob Walsh and I have, have lived these in our experiences in the past. It would be very, very deliberate. The problem being is it would be bumping up against Russian interest and potentially Russian forces or at least proxies in the form of civilian or mercenary type forces on the ground. This is the challenge that I see is where Russia is really exerting itself in ways uh, and stealing a march, as we say, taking advantage of an opportunity and getting ahead of the United States in this particular way because they don't subscribe necessarily to rules and are willing to put themselves in a situation in a very ham-handed way, but works to their great advantage. So this wouldn't be a normal NEO operation. This would be a NEO where we'd have to be very precise, very delicate, because we would be challenged by the Russians primarily on the ground. And the last thing we want to have is in an effort to protect American citizens, very focused on a challenge in Venezuela and try to narrowly and very simply define the problem, we suddenly instigate something that has far more reaching challenges than we uh, anticipated going in. But when government is protected at the end of a gun, you're always going to have those kinds of challenges. And that's what we see in Venezuela. So if Maduro was still in charge several weeks or months from now, would that be a victory for Russia over us? Does that sway our policy? I mean, it does seem like there's a real potential for this to escalate. If Maduro were in charge and this were to move forward and there could be some economic relief, there could be some change in the terrible humanitarian con uh, condition on the ground, if Maduro agreed to taking food aid, maybe the involvement of the United Nations to insist in the distribution of that food, if that was possible, if its economic wheels could turn, if its production wheels could turn, if oil exports, exports could then be uh, brought back up, this would be fine. The United States has lived with socialist governments on its heels for, for decades. I mean, just look at Cuba. I mean, we, we can tolerate this kind of um, what I would call government or at least political differences that exist in very stark, very vibrant colors. That's okay. We can, we can handle that. 
The challenge that we have is when all of that in a very toxic mix puts a nation at real risk. We're not sure how that thing's going to spin out of control. Maduro can stick around. Everything can be fine if he can put a lid on this challenge that he has in, in the nation and Juan Guaido may disappear from the political scene, we would prefer that Juan Guaido step forward, be recognized, acknowledge the corruption within the government and allow this to move forward in, on an alternative path. If that doesn't happen, we're not going to force it. The point I would want to make is we're, in a military sense, the United States is not going to try to be an accelerant to this right now. Yeah, Peter, if I could uh, just add to that, this is uh, General Walsh on what uh, General Mark said. Um, you know, this will take time. I mean, you know, the support behind Maduro, I mean, I think well over the polls are saying that 80% of the population uh, support Juan Guaido and not Maduro. So you can look at the, the chaos that's in the country that the population is shift. Now, whether he can, as General Mark said, keep the lid on this, that's yet to be seen, but the tipping point is moving that if you look at, you know, 43 nations as of now really now have signed up to support Juan Guaido. And it's a very small minority that is really supporting Maduro. And it, it's the typical players that you would see around the globe uh, that you would see doing it, Russia, China, Bolivia, Syria, Iran. Those are the ones. So how that goes, we'll, be, we'll have to wait out and see. You, you look at Syria and Bashar al-Assad, you know, there was a red line there that we wouldn't accept Bashar al-Assad. He's still in power. He's still out there in play. How this all plays out is going to be very careful on how we walk through this. And it's going to have a lot to do with the people inside Venezuela. You know, how much uh, Maduro comes down on the population with uh, tyranny that he's done in the past and, and how the world reacts to that. And, and part of that is um, the National Assembly has already said that they've given a way out to citizens and uh, military that would support the coalition uh, or support the opposition. And they've also said that they would allow Maduro to leave the country um, if, uh, if he was willing to do that. So I think the, the whole thing is going to have to be very carefully handled. Uh, and the peace between Russia putting all in behind Maduro and us supporting Juan Guaido, this is going to have to take time to play out, and we're going to have to work this very carefully. Thanks very much. That's very helpful. It's definitely a situation that's developing. We're all going to be watching. You know, I think it's kind of reassuring that there are outcomes other than just military intervention, and maybe there is a path. And it does seem, from both generals, the comments are that if either side kind of heads down a path to get IMF involvement and really rebuild the country, there's hope for a very peaceful resolution to this. And something we're clearly all watching and it's going to have impacts both on that local economy and world markets, particularly on the oil side. Well, thank you, Peter. And thank you, General Walsh, Rachel, and General Marks for contributing to this conversation. Academy Securities is extremely proud to be able to provide these types of perspectives to our clients. If you have an interest in engaging our geopolitical and macro strategy team directly, please reach out by emailing us at info at academysecurities.com. Academy Securities is a service-disabled veteran-owned investment bank with a social mission to hire, train, and mentor military veterans to develop careers in finance. I'm your host, Andrew Robinson, and thank you so much to our listeners for giving us the time today. We look forward to sharing more with you very soon.